We're going to start in Isaiah 25. And Isaiah 25 talks about a lot of things happening. And really, the, the neat thing about Hebrew poetry that we don't get in English is that Hebrew poetry, they're going to say the same thing maybe three or four different times in a different way. But every time they say it, they're talking about the same thing. And this is a great example of it. So if you start in Isaiah 25, verse 6, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, and of aged wine well refined. Some translations say it's uh, filtered, extra filtered wine. So, verse 6, you get this image that God is going to have this feast. And it's going to be a feast for anybody, but it's going to be on, on this mountain. It's not going to be everywhere, just on this mountain. There's some other things that were leading up to this that kind of set out that um, not everybody is saved. Not everybody is going to heaven. Just the people that make it to this mountain. Just the people that God brings to this mountain. So that puts that away. But um, so there's a feast. Okay, so if I had flashcards, we'd have feast and we'd set that up there. Verse 7. He will swallow up on this mountain. So again... The context is all the people that make it to the mountain. He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all people, the veil that is spread over all the nations. So over everybody, there's a cover. Then they say it again. There's a veil spread over all nations. So there's not two different things there. It's one thing, and Isaiah is describing it it's a cover over it. It's a veil. So that's flashcard number two. Okay? So you've got this big old feast that's going to happen on the mountain. On the mountain, God is going to swallow up this covering. All right? We'll keep going. Verse 8. He will swallow up death forever. Oh, now we know what the cover is. Right? He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. So you kind of have two things going on there. Death is a thing and God's going to swallow it up. It's going to be gone, just consumed. Nothing left of it. So stick that on a flashcard. Then the other thing that's going to happen is he's going to wipe away all tears from all faces and the reproach of his people will be taken away from the whole earth. Ever since the fall, the devil has hated mankind and has been trying, I mean, I guess before, moments before the fall too, right? Um, the devil has been trying to turn God's creation against God. And so anything that's in the creation that's fallen is going to have a reproach, is going to have disdain, is going to dislike, is going to hate anything heavenly, anything that's from God. And so all of God's people in the world, the world hates us. And I don't mean the world like, you know, my neighbors that hate me because I'm Christian. 
I mean the creation itself that has fallen and broken. The, the whole world is broken and off. This is where cancer comes from, right? This broken world. Even, even, um, even the plates of the earth are against us with earthquakes. Even the cells of, of material, the material world and cancers and, and illness are against, are against us and working in frustration. All of that's going to be taken away. Tears wiped away, reproach of his people, all taken away. Isn't that wild? So we've only had three verses. Verse 6, it's a feast. Verse 7, this covering that's over all the people is taken away. Verse 8, death is gobbled up and destroyed. And all the tears are wiped from our face and the embarrassment and reproach. All of that is one thing. It is one great and awesome and wonderful thing. And it has all of those aspects to it. A huge feast with wine that is so just incredible. You've never tasted anything like it, wine. We've had this ongoing hilarious thing going on in our house where I always bought bold coffee. And Isaac and David are the only other guys that drink coffee in our house. And they didn't know there was anything except bold coffee that like tastes like a skunk was smoking and died. It's like really, really strong. So I got medium roast coffee one day. And they were like, this tastes like fruit juice. This is amazing. Why? This doesn't taste terrible. I don't have to put milk in this. I don't have to put a cup of sugar in it. I was like, it's light roast coffee, guys. Wow! There's going to be this day when, when he talks about this wine. Remember, Isaiah was in the company of all the kings and the court and the aristocrats and the rich and the powerful. And so when he talks about there's a day coming where the Lord is going to serve this really good wine, they, they wouldn't actually know what that tasted like. And they'd be like, wow, that's really good. And then the poor people that he talks to would be like, I have heard of that. I don't know how good it is, right? It's that, wow, that's how great that day. Verse 9, it'll be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him that He might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. The hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain, and Moab shall be trampled down in His place like straw trampled down in a dunghill. Moab isn't necessarily the nation of Moab. It's another flashcard. That covering of, uh, of sin, the, the veil that's death, death that's going to be swallowed, the, the reproach that's on people, that every tear wiped from the eye, that other that evil thing is going to be so stomped down it's going to be like straw in the back of a horse stable like you don't even use that straw to feed the pigs right that is the worst straw and it's just out of here forget about it worthless and that's what god is going to do to death and to sin all at the end 
it's just going to be so destroyed, so utterly, totally destroyed. I love just a repetition. We have waited for him. We have waited for him. And it's an encouragement, right? Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Be patient. It doesn't feel like this right now. It doesn't feel like every tears being wiped from every eye. It doesn't feel like death is being swallowed up by God. But wait, it's going to happen. You can trust it. This comes back up in Revelation 7. Revelation 7, it's the end of the world. It's the beginning of eternity. He says, The Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. In the kingdom of heaven, there's, there's nothing there to make us sad. There's nothing there to make us weep. It's not that you're not allowed to cry. It's not that you're incapable of it. It's just that it's such everlasting joy in God's presence that we'll forget what crying is. We'll forget how to do it. We just, we won't. It won't happen. Revelation 21 verse 4 mentions it again. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain for the former things have passed away. No crying, no pain, no mourning, and no more death. Pretty awesome. This also gets quoted by Paul, the Apostle Paul. This is read at every funeral ever. And um, if you don't remember it, make a note of it so that if you're talking to somebody who's grieving, you can go there. It's 1 Corinthians 15.50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. This is going to come up more, but basically we have to die. This whole creation has to be made new. We all have to become a new creation. This is John 3. Unless you're born again, you won't see eternal life, right? We need to be transformed into a new thing because this, this stuff isn't going to make it to the kingdom of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of, heaven, kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. This perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. That immortality is no pain, no death, no mourning, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Where, o, de o death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? So Paul, when he is saying this, it's a quote. Death is swallowed up in victory. And even though it's not word for word, a lot of Bible scholars think that Paul is quoting Isaiah 25. 
when he's talking about the big feast, the veil and the covering being removed, death being swallowed up, and Moab getting trampled and stomped and every tear being wiped from your eye. Death is swallowed up in victory. Then Paul gives the, gives the New Testament after the Messiah has come and the Holy Spirit dwells in us. He gives the interpretation of it. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's death under the law. There's life in Christ, new life in Christ. All right. Now we're going to skip back to Isaiah 26. There are some good, um, if you're looking for something to pray, you know, you can always go to Psalms and you can see what David prayed, what other people prayed in the scripture. Um, you can also find some of those in, in Isaiah. And this is, this is one of them. You keep him, this is Isaiah 26, verse 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. That God gives us peace while we think about him. There, there have been times in my life where I have been totally overwhelmed and I've had, you know, just, oh, how am I going to do this? And what about this? And how's this thing? And how's this ever going to end? And what are we going to do about this thing? And, oh, oh, oh. and you just get totally paralyzed thinking through it all. And then some of those times I realize what I'm thinking about. And who I'm really setting my thoughts on. I'm really setting my thoughts on myself and all the awesome stuff I get to do. <laughs> when I set my eyes on God, all of a sudden I realize probably a third of that stuff God didn't ask me to do in the first place. So there's no harm in get that out of here. And then the other two thirds, he is more than able to do. And there it is. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is on God. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. He has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it down to the ground, casts it to the dust. The foot tramples it, the feet of the poor, and the steps of the needy. This, this is kind of a, an extra little dig. Not only does God bring down what is high and lofty and exalts itself against him, but poor people get to walk over the top of it. So this is like a double jab at, at these folks that were putting their hope in riches and putting their hope in their power and putting their hope in their flesh and themselves is that poor people are going to stomp all over it and walk all over it, right? Skip down to verse 7. This path of the righteous is level. You make level the way of the righteous. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. It is a great thing to want the Lord. And to want Him so much that you would wait for Him. Oh, I just, I want the Lord. I want to see what He does and I'll wait my soul yearns for you in the night. This is verse 9. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. 
For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. That is a great... It, when you're reading the scripture and you see something like that, and you're like, gosh, that would be a great way to be. I'm not like that. I don't wake up in the night and cry out to the Lord, Lord, my soul yearns for you. Guess what? God loves to answer the prayers that he tells us to pray for. He loves to give us the things that he told us to ask for. Just like I guide my kids. You know, we got a whole bunch of toys. We got enough toys. We don't need any more toys. Hey guys, this Christmas, let's have a game. And everything you get has to be an instrument from the pawn shop. So we go to the pawn shop and we look at how cool the pawn shop is. And then when they say, Daddy, I'm going to ask Grandma for this trombone. I'm like, yes. I will help Grandma get you the trombone. Because we don't want any more toys. But a trombone will be great. Not a drum set, just a trombone. God wants us to want this. And so if you read across something like this and you say, God, I am not like that. I don't wake up in the middle of the night, yearn, my soul yearning for you. You can ask God to work that in you. Remember the guy that went to Jesus and he said, yeah, you know, heal. He needed somebody to be healed. And Jesus said, you just come to me for healings. You just, you don't believe you just come to me for power. And the guy says, help me in my unbelief. That guy acknowledges, you're right. I am just here because I believe you have the power to heal and I need that healing. Acknowledge to God, God, I, my soul doesn't yearn for you in the night, but I want it to because I know that's best. Make my soul yearn for you. Do you know what happens? He answers that prayer with a home run, with a grand slam. Oh my gosh. You will, it is phenomenal. So ask the Lord to make you love him more, to help you to love him more. Skip down to Isaiah 26, 19. So there are some people that read that God swallows up death and they read these things and they believed that in the kingdom of heaven, when the end of the world came and all would be right and shalom and perfect peace, that nobody would die anymore, but you wanted to be alive when that happened so that you could live in it because the people that died already are just going to be dead. And that's the end. And that this was the Sadducees. When you read about the Sadducees, they did not believe in the resurrection. They, they believed that whoever was alive when the Messiah came back, those were the people that would get to live on forever. And everybody else was just tough luck. Which is fine. If all of it talks about is swallowing up death forever, that makes sense. Until you get to Isaiah 26, 19. Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light and the earth will give birth to the dead. At some point, everybody that ever died, ever, wherever they are, whatever state their body is in, their, their 
the body they have right now is not what's going to rise from the dead. They're going to get a new body. Remember what I read, 1 Corinthians 15, 50. The perishable will put on the imperishable. The, this physical flesh that's got a bunch of germs in it and a bunch of cells that are rebelling against the holiness of God won't exist. And it'll just be this resurrection body. What's wild is you will be recognizable. The, they talk about um, there's places in the Scripture where people are dead and they can recognize who they are when they come back. Uh, Jesus, sometimes they recognized him and sometimes they didn't. That's really fun. I don't know what was going on there. Sometimes they know, knew it was him and sometimes they didn't. So the earth is going to give up its dead. Um, you know, the devil is always trying to rip us off and defeat us a lie. And I think, I think all of the, um, I mean, they go back hundreds of years. This isn't just a since the 1950s thing. But any kind of zombies, zombies, vampires, mummies, Frankenstein, all that fear of the dead is all trying to make us not look forward to the resurrection. Because what is, what is all of that stuff? It's all a false resurrection, right? If you go by a graveyard and you think about a movie and a whole bunch of people coming out and you're like, I don't want to be near this graveyard when all the people come out. No way, man. I want to be there. I want to be there. I want to... Oh my gosh. That is going to be... Um, I, told, I told my wife when, um, when they do the viewing, whenever I die and they put me in a casket and they do the viewing, I want my hands over the edge of the casket just because whenever that trumpet goes, I, I want to have a head start of out. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be so fantastic. It is going to be the biggest party ever, you guys. And not just because of the awesome wine, but for a lot of reasons. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing. Oh, and we'll all be singing. That's even I mean, I'll have a new body, so I'll be able to sing better. Come, my people, enter your chambers. Shut your doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until the fury has passed by. For behold, the Lord is coming out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, and the earth will disclose the blood shed on it and will no more cover its slain. He's saying again, just wait. Just wait a little bit. Because the earth will not cover, right? People buried, people have died and their bodies have gone back to dust. The body will no longer cover that and everyone will come out. Everyone. Isaiah 27 verse 1. Again, this is just layers and layers of the same event. The same thing happening all on that great day. Isaiah chapter 27, verse 1. In that day, the Lord with His hard and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and He will slay the dragon that is in the sea. What in the world are they talking about? All right, so 
back in the day, they did not have, um, you know, sky maps with the Earth and, uh, you know, the Earth in the middle and all the planets and the sun revolving around it. No. Uh, The sun and all the moon. Their concept was there's three levels. There's where we are. Here we are, walking around on Earth. There's the underworld where everybody goes when they die. And there's the heavens where God and all the angels are. And so with that concept of a three, three tiers of things, that's, that's how they relate to everything else. So the earth is going to give everything up. That means everybody that's dead under the earth is going to come up. When they talk about God coming down, um, he's coming down from the heavens, right? Because they think there's just big three layer, like a big ice cream sandwich, three spots. So down deep, you go out to look at the ocean and it goes down. That must go down, down, down to the bottom. And Leviathan is down there, the sea monster. Sometimes Leviathan is the devil. Sometimes the Leviathan, like he says, a serpent. Sometimes he's just a monster in the deep, a giant beast. He kind of mixes around with those words. But that's that whole concept. The thing that's way down there, down where the dead people go, God's going to slay it. The worst thing down there, God will slay. So we don't, we don't need to get a bunch of submarines and go looking for the actual real Leviathan. Remember, it's all the same topic. The worst thing, the worst thing in the underworld you could ever imagine, God's going to take his hard, great, and strong sword and punish that. It's fun. Um, then he goes on. There's this song about the, this vineyard that he's taking care of. And he's made everything, he's wiped out every bad thing. And he's, he's looking at this vineyard like it's the finished product. Like it's after salvation has come. And he's taking care of it. Down in verse 4, he says, I have no wrath. If only I had thorns and briars to battle. Because he's, this is after heaven. This is after everything's been made right. There aren't even any thorns. Remember in the fall of Adam and Eve, there would be thorns growing after that. There's no more thorns. And God says, oh man, if there were thorns in this vineyard, I would just beat those thorns so bad. I just, I love this vineyard so much. I care for it. If there were thorns here, I would march against them. I would burn them all up. Because he's still just carrying on about how much he loves us, how much he wants to take care of us, provide for us, protect us. Skip down to verse 9, Isaiah 27, 9. He's been talking about how much he loves his people, how much he loves those that he saved. And then he skips back out of the future and into the past, sort of. Therefore, by this, the guilt of Jacob will be atoned for. This will be the full fruit of the removal of his sin. When he makes all the stones of the altars like chalk stones crushed into pieces. No ashiram or incense or altars will remain standing. So there's a time where the guilt of Jacob, the sin of Israel, will be totally atoned for. And the full fruit of the removal of his sin will be that all the stones and the altars, all the pagan stuff will all be gone. It's pretty wild. Um, 
He's still talking about idolatry. He's still, in, remember in Judges, in Judges, Gideon was struggling with idolatry and um, all of that nonsense through Judges where they were making things out of gold. Even here in Isaiah, he's saying idolatry. All right, last little bit I want to talk about, which is a little bit, we're turning a page. Um, Isaiah is the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. So of all the books of the Old Testament, Isaiah is quoted the most in the New Testament. There are even places where the New Testament talks about things that when you go back and you read Isaiah, you realize he is talking about what Isaiah prophesied, but he doesn't quote Isaiah. And we're going to talk about one of those here. Let's see, where is this? This is in Isaiah 28. The fading flower of its glorious beauty, which is on the head of the rich valley, will be like the first ripe fig before the summer. When someone sees it, he swallows it as soon as it's in his hand. I had to throw this in here. Um, So if you guys have fruit trees, have you watched fruit trees and you've anticipated and you're waiting to see when that apple is ready or when, oh, is it ready yet? Is it ready yet? Well, figs are totally different and figs are totally nuts. So we were in, we were in Turkey. We were on the Mediterranean Sea at this hotel. Who knows? We lived a crazy life, but there we were. And we'd go out of our room in the morning and you would step out onto the sidewalk and there'd be flies and fruit flies and bugs. And you'd be like, what, what is this? And all the employees, of the hotel, you know, they'd show up at like eight or nine and they would come and they would start scraping all that off and sweeping it and getting, you know, hosing it all down and getting it clean again. The next morning you'd come out and it'd just be nasty, sticky all over. It took us like till day two to figure it out. There's this fig tree right over the whole outside of the hotel, just this whole row of fig trees. And as soon as these things would become ripe, you knew they were ripe because they would fall off the tree and just splat. I mean, like fig newtons all over the front of this hotel. Well, then we realized this is awesome because this is food that we don't have to wash in bleach to eat. We won't get poisoned. It's free. And who's ever eaten figs before? Like this, right? Yeah. Oh, so, yes. So figs are crazy. And as soon as they're ripe, they fall off the tree and they splat unless you catch them or unless you put some pillows down or something or unless you send your kid up to climb the tree and p- p- pick them all. What he's saying is when the time is right, this is back in the context of waiting. When the time is right, God is not going to say, oh, I don't think I'm ready yet. Hold on. When the time is right, it's going to come like a fig tree falling out of, like a fig falling out of a tree. And it will be upon us. And he swallows it as soon as it is in his hand, he says, that it will be, it'll be an instant thing. So just keep waiting. But then he says, this is what Isaiah says to the people. He says, it's precept upon precept. 
Precept upon precept, line upon line upon line. Here a little, there a little. What he's talking about is the people have turned their relationship with God. They're God's chosen people. They got the law. They have all these ways to interact with him, and they've turned it into a bunch of rules. They've turned it into a bunch of precepts. If you go back and you really read it really slow, and you read Leviticus, and you read Numbers, you realize it's not just a big list of laws. It's God saying, here is how you can thrive in a new land. I know you've been slaves for 400 years. You have no idea how to do government. You're all totally crazy. Here's some structure. Do this and you'll be close to me. They, they threw out the be close to me part and they just turned it into do this. Precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Then God says, for by people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to you. He's not talking about Assyria. He's talking about the Gentiles. Because later on, the Apostle Paul is going to talk about how God hardened the Jews and opened a way for the Gentiles so that the Gentiles would preach to the Jewish people. And that's what he's talking about right here. So what will they say? They'll say, this is rest. Give rest to the weary, and this is repose. If you want to know what rest is, give rest to the poor. Care for poor people and the weary people. Don't just heap laws on them. Jesus would talk about this later. This is in Matthew 23. He says to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do what they tell you, but don't do what they do. Don't do the works that they do. This is all Matthew, Matthew 23. They preach but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. This is where people build up laws. They build up laws, but they don't do anything to offer help. For, for years, um, the church would tell people they have to tithe 10%. You have to tithe 10%. You have to give your money, give your money, give your money. 10% of your income, give it. They didn't do anything to help people budget and figure out how to live on 90% of their income, right? And then Larry Burkett came along. And then Dave Ram... Everybody forgot about Larry Burkett. I, I wish they wouldn't. He was awesome. But um, who's the other guy? Dave Ramsey. You know, now you can always tell the church... The church is fixing to ask for your money because they start with financial peace so you can learn how to... Right? That, that whole... They, they work it the right way now. No, not laws, not rules. Not precept upon precept. That's what Jesus was saying the Pharisees did. They just, they just laid sticks on people as rules and laws and laws and rules, and they didn't do anything to help those people carry those weights. Um, whether it's, you know, we, we still see some of these today where uh, different churches are not, the women aren't allowed to wear pants, they all have to wear skirts. Or women aren't allowed to cut their hair, they have to grow their hair long. And it's like they're, they're getting wrapped up in all this cultural stuff that's not going to draw them closer to a relationship with Jesus. 
And that relationship with Jesus is what saves. Because he said, what did he say? Rest. If rest is what you want, give rest to the weary. Give rest to those that need it. But the word of the Lord will be to them precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they may go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken, as Isaiah says. And he's saying the same thing that Jesus said. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear. They lay on them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their fingers. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. So if you were really holy in Jesus' day, you would have tassels on your robes. And the longer your tassels, the more holy you were. And they would have this little box with scripture in it. And you'd tie it to your forehead to show that you are always thinking about the scriptures. And if you were really thinking about the scriptures, you would get a bigger box. Because you had so many scriptures that you were thinking about. Well, I mean, we know capitalism, right? If you want to, you just get a bigger box. Well, I'm holier than him. I'm going to get a bigger box. And it's just a sale of whoever has the most money is the most holy. And you just get the bigger Cadillac or the bigger Bentley or the faster jet and show off how righteous and holy you are. No, they do it all their deeds to be seen by others. Don't do it. They love the place of honor at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. Jesus is saying, don't do this. And he's remembering Isaiah saying, don't do this. Here's what will happen. He says, whoever believes this is at the end of this is like Isaiah 28 verse uh, like around 10. Maybe 15. I'm laying a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes in him will not be in haste. I will make justice the line, righteousness the plumb line. Hail will sweep away the refuge of lies. Waters will overwhelm their shelters. There's a place in here where they say, we've made a, we've made a covenant with death. We made a deal with hell, and we're not going to go to hell. And Isaiah says, I'm going to call on that deal, and it's not going to hold, because you made a deal with a false thing. You made a deal with the wrong thing. That's what he's referring to at the end here. When they made a cornerstone, you know, I mean, all these bricks were made in a factory, right? And they're all made exactly the same, and they're great, and they're predictable, and they have quality control. And all these bricks, you can count on them to be straight. Back in the day when they built a building, they were using stones and they did not have all these machines. So they would make one cornerstone that was square and they would make sure it was square and they would make certain and they'd measure it 17 different ways and they would do it all and all right, we're good and it's square. And now no matter how oblong all these other rocks are, if they line up with this, the building will be square. That's what Jesus is. He is our cornerstone. He is right, and he is perfect, and he is just, yes. 
in every way so that every oblong, here I am, every not square, yes, every misshapen, odd stone that lines up with him becomes a part of the building. Isaiah says, this is in Isaiah 28, I'm going to make a cornerstone. I'm going to make a cornerstone, and people would think, oh man, cornerstone, like you would not just let some regular schlep make your cornerstone for your building. You brought in a specialist. This guy, his job, all he knew how to do, he was really good at it, and he makes cornerstones. Because the whole building is going to be based on this. Everything is going to be built on it. And that's Jesus. That's how, that's how God is going to work. We just went through three chapters, 26, 27, and 28. They're all talking about the same thing over and over and over again. Jesus Christ is going to be sent. He's going to be the cornerstone. He is going to wipe away every tear from every eye. He's going to swallow up death. He's going to serve double-filtered wine. He is going to uh, mash down death like straw in a dung pile. And he is going to call the dead out of the earth to sing with joy in their new bodies that have no pain and no mourning. And it's just going to be this party. And that, there's no boredom, right? Because everything is satisfied. We get boredom because we want something else. We don't like what we have. Everything will be fulfilled. And we will have it all in Christ fully. All right, let's pray. Lord, we don't want to, but we will wait for that day. We look forward to it, Lord. We cannot wait till the dead in Christ are raised, that mortal puts off mortal and puts on immortality, and that we are raised imperishable. We praise your name, Lord, that you did all of this for us and that you have accomplished all of this. And even then, you still use us to get this word out and to tell others so that they can be a part of this building too. We praise you and we thank you, Lord. Amen.